Yo, welcome to episode six. How you guys doing? What's up? It's your boy, Raf. This is Ravi talking to you. All right. Now we're just going to dive right into uh, episode six. Um, today we're just going to be talking. We're going to continue the conversation surrounding um, COVID-19 and its effect, I guess, socially. Uh, but we're going to be expanding not just on, um, I guess, college education, but we're going to be easing into K through 12 education. And it's a conversation that um, one of you guys actually suggested. So we appreciate that. And we found a lot of interesting research. Um, yeah. We found a lot of uh, different um, different things being done to, I guess, I guess, speed up the process or slow it down. Uh-huh. Um, and we'll also be talking about uh, something that actually happened in recent news, um, the CDC Center of Con- Center of Disease Control has is no longer the primary I guess source of information regarding COVID-19 whether that be statistics or information stuff like that it's actually being pushed over to HHS which is the Health and Human Services so the US Department of Health and Human Services yeah um the CDC does work under the US Department of Health and um Human Services but mm-hmm. it's just I guess kind of like I guess closer to government so there's been a lot of um there's been a lot of backlash regarding that from governors across the U.S. and um, people in general. I guess it's becoming more of a political conversation. Not that it hasn't been in recent past, but I mean, it's it's kind of ramping up to be that again. So, I mean, I yeah. guess we can go straight into the K through 12 discussion. Um, right. I know you did some research on it. I mean, yeah. I wasn't able to do to delve in um, as much as I would like to, but I definitely still have an opinion regarding it. So, yeah, go ahead, take it yeah, away. No, of course. I mean. Last week when we were focusing on uh, COVID, obviously, we focused a lot on colleges reopening. Mm-hmm. And um, it was so much easier to just look at colleges because, you know, when it comes to college, it's just the education aspect of everything. Yeah. There's not much to lose socially by not having in-person classes, as you know, as we'd like to look at it. Like, no one's really arguing that the development of people that are 21, you know, is undermined by not being in class, you know. Yeah. Like, online schooling at that level is already very common, you know. Mm-hmm. But looking into the whole thing with K through 12, um, you you have to see how that has an impact on their own mental growth in, in a way and their mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, some of those social skills that they develop outside the home when they interact with other people are very important. And this is almost a time that has resulted in a lot of families sacrificing that kind of, you know, social growth for their kids. Um also, I thought what I thought was interesting, like when we started looking into why there's been such a big push to go back to school and not just from like the higher ups, but even just families and teachers, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's more to do with um, just what school means to those people, to 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 the younger ones. Right. Like you look at lower income families that rely on their children going to these schools for meals, you know, yeah. something so simple that you and I probably don't think of as much. But mm-hmm you know, a meal, the meal that they get at school is probably very important. And so for those families, you know, they've had to go hungry a little bit, you know, during the whole pandemic. And this Mm -hmm. isn't just in the U S you know, yeah, this is definitely something that's global. And I think when you look at it globally, you start to see very, a lot of differences in the way everything has been handled, Mm -hmm. obviously. And like, we'll get into that, but just right now just trying to describe what it even means to these people like why there's been such a big push because not a lot of us understood why and i th- I saw an article actually that was reported i think it was in the uk they mm-hmm. were talking about how domestic abuse is an issue right now and like we knew this was going to happen with yeah, you know yeah with um you know quarantine. staying yeah quarantine yes, yeah. yeah that's the word <laughs> we knew this was going to happen with quarantine regardless yeah. but 
when they started, you know, taking notes and saying domestic abuse, you don't notice it as much anymore because the people that you usually detect this stuff in younger children are the teachers, those people that they see, and they're the ones that, you know, report them to the authorities and say, mm-hmm. I think this child is being abused. Mm-hmm. And since there's th- that interaction isn't there, and, you know, through online schooling, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. There's been an there's been an uptick in, in, in domestic abuse in certain parts of the UK and that's sad, obviously. So after you look at all that, right, like you almost have a change in stance as to what you believe, you know. Like mm-hmm. a week ago we were absolutely for not reopening, but after you, you hear all these things you start to reconsider yeah. for for a lot of for a lot of different areas. And I think that's what brings us into the whole conversation of what other places have done. As mm-hmm. far as reopening, you know, the school system is not the same here in the U.S. as it is everywhere else. So a lot of countries have transitioned into some kind of reopening plan and have already implemented it for the most part. Yeah. But I think that the major factors that I was noticing involving what governs the decision to reopen and in, in what capacity is usually centered around the number of cases in the area, mm-hmm. um, the the size of the classes, you know. For certain places, um, certain classes can't have smaller class sizes. You know, mm-hmm. like certain places yeah. just don't have the space to do so, you know. Yeah, no, so they can they cannot reopen without having 40, 50 people in one class. Mm-hmm. And so the other schools that have the space, like I saw people using the, the school gym as an auditorium for school, for classes. And you can see people social distance. They're cool images everywhere on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And... You know that's only that's that only works for them because they have that space. You know, so yeah, so yeah. there's so many factors that each individual school has to consider, and the other big thing is just the resources that are available to a given community, as far as testing for the COVID nineteen virus and also preventing um, people contracting the virus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that the U.S. is unique too because they have those resources as far, you know, as I would like to say they do for the most part as far as having the most resources to ensure that the transition is done well. Whereas yeah. I know that there's some places, some countries that just ruled it out completely and said, we're just not going to reopen until the end of the year, like at least until a vaccine is established or at least until next year, January. And that's just because they know they cannot afford to have... um an outbreak that big you know mm-hmm. they just can't they just can't put that many children at risk and that's a similar story back home like i just got off the phone with my mom today and mm-hmm. she was talking about how i think back home they're coming to the understanding that for the 2020 schooling year they're just gonna have to wipe it out and have everyone repeat the year that they were supposed to do this year Damn. like for everything yeah no and it, it, it's yeah no it's awful but when you look at it it's probably the smartest thing to do because yeah. They definitely don't have the resources to handle any kind of outbreak. I mean, this is, I guess it's a, it's mostly just like, you know, picking the lesser of two evils. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's unfortunate that development socially, mentally, emotionally is what kind of takes a back seat to mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's even, it's even more unfortunate, especially when you talk, when you mentioned, I guess, just the effect that teachers have in the students lives in in terms of domestic abuse and just that research done in the uk and you know obviously like we don't know numbers across the world but Mm -hmm. like it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like okay i mean i I can see the connection right so like i'm sure it's 
it's not an impossible occurrence or it's not an impossible uptick to Mm -hmm. see in almost every country Mm -hmm. that has, you know, regular schooling like that for the young people. So, I mean, I guess in this sense, and I guess with Zimbabwe, I mean, it's it's just about picking the lesser of two evils. Absolutely. And it's unfortunate that that is, you know, one of those evils that, like, you know, not having school. Right. But, I mean, what can... What else can you really do? No, really? nothing, nothing. This is, and it's just one of those. I think. Up situations. I think the one thing that I will say though about as far as the way the U.S. has tried to handle it, as far as um, people going back to school K through twelve, mm-hmm. I think this whole idea that each area should have their own plan, mm-hmm. in a way, it allows it allows a case by case specific method of reopening, which is great because I mean, yeah. certain parts, yeah, certain parts of America mm-hmm. and certain parts of each state are gonna have are gonna be at a higher risk than yeah. other parts. You know, like you look at, for example, if we're looking at New York, like if you look at New York City, there's probably a higher chance of people coming in contact with the coronavirus than people that are like in upstate or rural New York. You know. Yeah. But so then I, th- I guess it, it, I guess that kind of plays on the idea of I guess switching schools. I mean, obviously, for Ooh. some people, it's really not that easy. For some people, it's like, I mean, I guess it's switching schools is much easier said than done in terms of college. Mm-hmm. But I guess K through 12, I mean, imagine the people who are going to, you know, I guess it also it has the question for lower income areas, you know, like, I guess there's mm-hmm. there's, yeah. there's research showing that, like, you know, COVID-19, there are like there are high numbers in low income areas. So I guess it kind of says, like, you know, buzz off to all the people mm-hmm. in low income areas where the education already may not be at this tip-top shape as right. in other areas but yeah i guess at that point it creates a socioeconomic divide and it also kind of i guess supports the idea that you know people who go to these schools if your area is not looking too good uh-huh. try to move and that's and that's what i was thinking too right like you know of, yeah. of course it's great to have like a case-by-case you know type of handling a method of handling this whole thing but yeah. it opens up the discussion to the fact that are some kids going to be going to school and and furthering the education while others aren't yeah, you know these are things that you don't consider when you when you're talking mm-hmm. about tertiary education. You're referring, you're looking at college students. You know whether I take a gap year as opposed to the other school that might be a hundred miles away from mine. It's not really a big deal. Like mm-hmm. people are already in college in irregular ages. Like it, it's not a necessary building block, quote unquote. You can always come back and do it. But when it yeah. comes to when it comes to K through twelve, some of that development has to happen at that time. Yeah, you know. And or at so, least as a society, that to what we've deemed it, exactly, you know, for, at least for as long <laughs> as we've looked at our own society, I think it's necessary for that to happen. Yeah. So not only are we saying we might not be able to turn people to school, but now you're looking at a situation where some go and some don't, and like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know what? What kind of world is that? You know. I feel and like that just creates a larger divide than we does. already have. It does. So I mean, even. I mean, I guess that I guess that kind of I guess trickles into the conversation of what Mike Pence said. You know, bless that man. But <laughs> wow, that was a very very ignorant thing to say. Um, he said specifically that oh, we don't want the CDC getting in the way of reopening. Which I mean, I completely understand. And like we've said, like like we've said prior to this, you know, mm-hmm. it it's important. You know, like you know, schools yeah. should be having that. I guess ability and I get it like you know it's like for some people it doesn't affect them but right. the way I see it is ironically enough it compares exactly to the virus and just people wearing masks mm-hmm. it, it compares like exactly the same like yes there are some people in some areas where it's not that big of a deal mm-hmm. but for the greater good for everyone all, as a we whole we all have to do it exactly we all yeah. have to do it so I guess yeah. it kind of I guess that same concept plays in terms of you know 
going to school, you know, some schools being held back, some schools not being held back, right? So you don't want lower income areas where there's already a dip. There's already a dip in, and there's already a massive difference yeah. in, I guess, the, the quality of education. Exactly. The yeah. quality of education, you yeah. know, where those students are going, whether they're staying in the same area. You know, it's it's all about the, at that point, you're truly creating a cycle. And that's the thing. Think yeah. about it. Like, you know, like th- that was just going to mess with numbers for uh, even SAT scores. Like imagine, you know, one mm-hmm. state going to school fully f- throughout this entire year, then another state being told that, no, you can't go. And then they both have to take the SAT at the same time. You know, like it just it it just creates it and it just makes the workload in order to keep this up, keep up this pace to Mm -hmm. stay where you're supposed to stay much higher. It it makes it requires a lot more. And I think, you know, as a whole, I think everyone, every student, every person, every employee, every human being who is working, doing homework or working right now understands that there is an increased amount or a lot more of a demand of Mm -hmm. quality work. And it's it's hard. But I think, you know. With this difference and with, you know, some schools being told they can go ahead and some schools being told no, it just it just creates too much of a difference for me. That's when I, I feel like, you know, at this point, we're kind of making a very dangerous decision that yeah. can really, really diminish a lot of progress that we've tried to make in terms of making, right. you know, education as even as possible, right. even though we really haven't made that much progress. Anyway. But we've at least <laughs> yeah. tried, you know, so yeah, I think ultimately. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed that, you know, we're nearing the end of July and there has been a lot of communication going to these schools or coming from these schools as far as what the way forward is. I think mm. by now I would have expected a full analysis of all the options, quote unquote, and mm-hmm. a, a great in-depth study as to what you what the implications are going to be. Yeah. Because for the most part, you, at least the people that I've spoken to, and I've and I've tried to raise this question with literally everyone that I encounter, right, or have a chance to speak to. Um, there just is uncertainty. I don't think that schools know for sure what they're doing, or like know for sure mm. what each decision will mean. Very true. And that's tough. That's really tough because if we're at least talking about it, we could allow, I guess, I don't know, to hear more expert opinion on this stuff, and mm-hmm. hopefully have a bit more confidence moving forward. But right now it's a lot of, I don't know. We don't know. The school doesn't know. They haven't said anything, you know, like there, there isn't, there isn't much communication that's happening as far as that's concerned. All we know for now is we must reopen at some point and we should reopen because that's, what's good for the economy. And that's, what's good for us. But Mm. no one's really talking about the different ways in which we could reopen. Like, yeah, they, they all have a plan, you know, and the phases are great. The phases are great. Like, oh, we're in phase four. We're going to go into phase five. But it's like, what happens if we can't go into phase five at the time that we thought we we're going to go in. Yeah. And I think that's a question that nobody is, has even bothered to answer. And, and, and I get it. It's a complicated question to answer, mm-hmm. especially when we start talking about education because of the number of people that are affected by this man. Yeah. You think about the number of kids that are in some type of formal education that are in between, that are between the years, you know, that are K through 12. It's an enormous n- number, you know, like it's, yeah. it's huge. And uh, demographics don't help at a time like this. Right. Because, mm. You have to think about how the the virus is contracted. You know, you got to think about all that. But then you also have to, I don't know, you also have to have this greater good mentality, right? Yeah. No child left behind of type of thinking and allowing everyone an equal opportunity at a time like this. And how that just is, is proving to be difficult. 
Yeah. Even even online learning, for example, you know, like we talk about online learning like it's something that's just like a blanket term. Everyone can do it. But like there are legitimately families out there that can't afford that, you know? Yeah. Like there, there are some Very kids true. who can't afford to do online learning. And I think it's great, of course, that we have that avenue. But not just here in the U.S., like elsewhere outside outside the U.S. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, we just spoke about back home and. Zimbabwe literally just shut it down completely, like no schooling whatsoever. Because even if you're to try and move into online learning, mm-hmm. maybe 20% of the population can afford to do that. Like maybe 20% of the college kids mm-hmm. have a steady internet connection back home where they can do that. Mm-hmm. The rest of them don't. So it's like, you you know, it, it's just it's just a mess. But it's a mess yeah. that I feel we could have done better as far as educating ourselves about. Mm-hmm. And we seem to have argued a lot more than we've educated ourselves and yeah. so we're we're in this situation where the the due date is coming closer and closer, and there's still a lot of uncertainty from the top down. Mm-hmm. And we, j- I just don't know what the resolution is. Like I try to think about it too. Like if I was to pose this question to you, how best do you think that schools, you know, K through twelve schools should reopen? Like how would you handle that even? Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's it's, I mean, it's just it's uh, a question you can't answer. Honestly, tough bit. That's a very yeah. tough bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that idea that you mentioned, or at least the the idea that a lot of places have been thinking about this whole idea, uh, or this this is just this concept of using a gym, you know, to socially mm-hmm. distance. Mm-hmm. It's I like it. I it's, think that's it's very, smart. It's, no, it's it is. Very it's, smart. it's very, it's very smart. smart. And I know yeah. personally, like my high school, we would have been able to handle social distancing. I think we we mm-hmm. could handle social social distancing at a time like this, but. Like, like we said, like, and like you said, it's, it's a matter of like the greater good, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's all about, I mean, who those kids are going to come in contact with. Like, you know, it's obviously, obviously extracurriculars for the next year, probably not going to be a thing for high high schools. I mean, I understand college might be a very big argument for a lot of people because that's kind of, I guess that stepping stone to like, you know, some people want to prove themselves, prove they can make it to any type of professional league, semi-professional, whatever it is overseas. But it's a matter of, I guess, with K through twelve, like I mean, like, what's more important to you at that time? You know, that that development on numerous different layers, or, you know, a basketball game, or maybe like another yeah. game, like whatever it is. So, I think it's unfortunate because I'm I'm sure like that's the thing. Some high schoolers they're probably really aiming for the season to happen because maybe they want to get recruited. You know, it's it's very it's important. Yeah. I mean, imagine all those kids who went to prep schools. And are going right. for that exact reason for their sport, and now they're being told where you that, have to like, do online and graduate. Exactly, online yeah. graduate, and hope you probably got enough offers to hold you over. Mm. You know, some kids probably haven't had haven't had their breakout season. So I mean, like, I guess it's it's a matter of the greater good, and it's it's a shame that it's such a hard question to answer. But I know, I mean, to answer your question for like a roundabout way of explaining, I guess just kind of taking all those things into account. I couldn't even begin to like fathom where to start. I really couldn't because yeah. I guess when you look at it, you kind of start to consider a majority of people that like, I mean, probably, you know, will be mm-hmm. okay. But then you start to consider the the people that you don't know, you know? And I right. think that's something that this epidemic, this pandemic, sorry, excuse me. This pandemic has, I guess, opened my eyes to, I mean, it's not like I wasn't aware, mm-hmm. but I guess it's just opened open them even more. And it's made me realize that like, you truly have to start caring for the people that are outside of your bubble. 
You know, I'm I personally I'm a very yeah. closed off person. I'm like, you know, get what I need to get done. If the people around me are working hard, I'm cool. I that's all the support I really need. Right. But then you start to really look at the people outside who can't really quite support themselves to that mm-hmm. level. You know, mm-hmm. like not everyone has the greatest bubble around them. So it's I guess it's you know, if if it was up to me if I had to sacrifice a few things, I mean for, for the next guy and I understand that it could affect us both equally as poorly, then so be it. You know, like I'm I'm okay with making, I guess, that sacrifice. No, I'm not happy with mm-hmm. online learning. Like, I know I'm not doing my I know I wasn't doing my best towards the end of last no, year, but it's it. like... No, no, I don't think anyone likes it at yeah, all. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I understood like that, like, there's a sense of, I guess, sacrifice that should come from everyone, you know? Like, if, you, if, you're, if you're proud to be an American, be an American and make a sacrifice. Well, sacrifice in what sense, though? Like, sacrifice, sacrifice in the sense as, that even as the people... putting yourself at risk, or... Oh no, sacrifice sorry, ooh, I should have clarified that. Right. <laughs> I meant sacrifice in the sense that putting things on hold. Okay. You know, right, like okay. I feel like there should be and it, it's it's such a it's such a blunt thing to say, and mm-hmm. I get it, it's it's not as clear cut as that. Mm-hmm. But if I had to say any blunt statement regarding coronavirus or mm-hmm. regarding anything to do with this conversation, it would just be be willing to make that sacrifice. I don't right. care if your entire town is perfectly clean. You guys live in a bubble like the Simpsons movie. Like, you know, I, I really could care <laughs> less. Like, it's at that point, like, it's it, it's difficult to say, but just please make the sacrifice. Yeah. Because you would want someone else to make the sacrifice for you. And I, th- and I think that the fact that we're in this pickle right now is is a result of that concept being foreign to a lot of people. I think that there is no reason why it's July 21st we're recording this. Mm-hmm. It's July 21st and we're still arguing about the practicality of reopening. Like that's mm-hmm. what that's what you know bothers me. And I we spoke about that a lot last week, right? When we we're talking mm-hmm. about the resources that are available to the yeah. US and like states in the US. It's just insane that you know we're at a time like this and we're asking each other the question, is it really practical for people to be reopening in the fall, you know? Like, I feel nowhere else in the world where they've had that much time to work on this pandemic and have have had restrictions in place is in a situation like this. You know, like you look at New mm-hmm. Zealand, for example, everyone's favorite ex- everyone's favorite example to use as far as Currently. how well they've handled it. And it's like New Zealand did what they have to do because they knew they didn't want to be in a situation where four or five months later they're considering, do we just cancel this whole year for for, for our kids? What do, what do we do? Mm. And so... It's tough that we, ha- it, you know, we have to look at it and say this is low key a result of the actions of the populace, mm. but it is a result of the actions of Absolutely. the populace. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And um, before we move on from this, I just wanted to say, like, one of our closest friends were pointing out this, pointed this out to me before we start recording, mm-hmm. and um, they basically said, right now I know we're discussing K through twelve coming back, you know, going schools reopening for them, but. Mm. And there's that argument that, oh, you know, kids are at a lower risk. And I think that's true, absolutely, 100%. I believe in the science. But I think we forget that there is an exposure for the staff and the teachers that aren't always, you know, the youngest. You know, yeah. like, yeah, we all had those teachers growing up that were mm-hmm. nearing the end, you know, like nearing their retirement age. And you look at those teachers and you look at those professors, you look at those staff members and it's like, is it really safe for them to be around, you know, these kids that are 
coming in like you cannot deny the fact that children tend to come in contact with more people than than grown-ups do probably yeah like you could almost argue that they they come in contact with a lot more people so is it really safe for them to be around a class that has 12 children that are coming from different homes Mm. and so there is that then there's also the question of even if you do reopen when you have all these restrictions what quality of education is it you know like you look at the younger ages where the whole social development quote unquote is coming from them interacting with each other playing around but if Mm -hmm. you're going to have a situation where you have to wear your mask you have to be six feet apart you can't play together at lunch you eat alone like how is it is it similar to us just remaining online or like not even having school Mm. so there are a lot of questions um that need to be answered within the next couple of weeks to determine which direction we're going yeah and there's pressures from everyone right there's pressures from parents there are pressures from school teachers there's pressures from up top it's just a mess Mm -hmm. but the only thing i would hope obviously is that from this people realize that their actions do matter man like you know yeah you can't continue to just live your life in a time like this and ignore all the restrictions and expect life to not bite you in the back for because i won't use the other word (laughs) for for the decisions you make right like these are the hard decisions that we as a society have to discuss and think about and make because in the past when things were a lot more black and white we failed to do the right thing yeah no that's very true all right moving on to our next topic it's a little bit more uh political i guess you could say (laughs) (laughs) yes it's we're talking on, I guess, specifically, I, I don't know if everyone here has heard this. It's relatively, it's pretty recent, I'd say, within the past week. Yeah. But it's the whole HHS. I mean, I'm going to be referring to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as HHS and Center of Disease Control as the CDC. So just for shorthand. But the HHS is now taking over um, the, I guess, the overwhelming data that a lot of hospitals are sending in um just for information on coronavirus a lot of it's for hospitals to understand how their protocols should go like how their protocols are working um to determine if it's even working in comparison to this hospital you know just a lot of different um questions are being answered based on this data and the cdc had control over it and not well yeah they had control over Mm -hmm. it and they were sending it out to everyone. It was also for public, you know, information. They had a lot of databases on their website. But um, recently, the HHS, uh, which has influence from, you know, the top down, the higher ups in government, um, they announced that, you know, the CDC wasn't doing enough and they decided to take control over it. And the reaction has been. I would say majority bad, almost. I wouldn't say equally as bad as, you know, the inter- the immigration uh, policy was for international students. But it's still pretty bad, especially yeah. because now you're seeing a lot, a lot more backlash politically yeah. for it. You know, a lot of people are calling this a political move. Um, the former head of the CDC actually stated that the upside about the CDC, even though they worked under the HHS, was that because they were based in Atlanta – they were able to avoid a lot of political pressure and avoid a lot of influence from the government. But now that, you know, a lot of this information is being, is being put in the hands of HHS. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, there's a direct pipeline. There's a direct line straight to, you know, the executive branch. Um, And they also stated, the HHS also stated that um, the data that they'll be receiving or the data that they'll be getting, um, I should say, 
they're actually it's going to be very limited so third-party researchers won't have as much access or won't have as much data to pull from um, the public the databases won't be accessible to the public um, limited information and actually once the policy went through the CDC actually had to take down all the databases that they had on their website and um, I think it was a few news outlets pointed this out they said you can't get to the databases anymore and the HHS responded by putting up a few databases back up, but they were extremely outdated. Like so, like it wasn't really like really recent real time information that they uh-huh. put back up. Uh-huh. So, I think it was what they what the HHS said they wanted to do was that they wanted to pull from the CDC w- currently pulls information from they said about three thousand hospitals uh-huh. out of about roughly like the sixty two hundred that are in the U.S. The CDC was pulling information from about 30,000 of them. And the HHS is currently collecting, or is hoping to collect, 4,500 hospital information, like hospitals information, Uh right? So, I mean, at first off, when I saw it, I was like, okay, no, I completely understand. Like, you know, it it makes sense. You know, you're trying to expand the, you're trying to expand, I guess, the information you're getting. And you're trying to, for for statistical purposes, make it a lot more accurate than maybe the 3,000 would be, right? Right. So, I mean, I, I mean, I had a, I had a slight issue when I thought about it a little more, but I'll get to that, you know, later on. Um, they also pointed out that they'd be using the same predictive analyses as the CDC would. Um, so essentially they would be taking the raw data and be analyzing it the same way that the CDC would go about doing it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think those are all the exact changes they made, limiting the information, you know, they'd be kind of doing the research and I guess doing the analysis the same exact way. Uh-huh. But the issues that I had with expanding the number of hospitals to this, um, to this, to these, to this research was that, you know, one, it, it, it begs the question, you know, where are you pulling this information? Like, you right. know, you're still not getting the rest of the hospitals. So that must mean you're pulled. You just, you like added what, what sampling method are you using? Exactly. Yeah. What sampling method are you using? And, what 1,500 hospitals that you're supposedly adding on top of the CDC, what hospitals are you now pulling from, you know? Yeah. And I would like to know because, you know, if you're going to be going through and limiting the public access to this data, I think there should be a full sense of transparency. And I think the HHS, yeah, no, the HHS actually did add some sense of, I guess, transparency in terms of when it comes to this information, um, certain companies that, want the information whether it be private third-party researchers anyone who's like a part of a bigger organization Mm -hmm. they have to go through a request and they have to submit it to the hhs and as the public we will have we will have access to see who is requesting this data that's what they said they said that we should be able to have kind of like uh we'll be able to have like a real-time look into what organizations and who is accessing this data but that still doesn't really answer the question of like you know. I mean that I doesn't guess, that doesn't do it anything. Doesn't, it doesn't really do much, right? Like I mean, just because I see who's accessing the data doesn't really mean that like you know, just like the higher ups are actually doing something yeah, positive I, with yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand what the point of that is. It's like yeah. you telling me, uh, Facebook keeps a record of everyone that uses your data, but you don't tell me what that data is. Like, no, that exactly that doesn't change anything. Exactly. <laughs> so. The CDC actually stated that, you know, well, they gave an example. The chief information officer gave an example of what this what this data would be used for. And they said that 
they would use it to find which areas need the the COVID-19 antiviral drug, I guess the small supply we have, uh, remesdivir, I believe it's said. Remsdivir. 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 It, when I first saw it, I was like, is that French yeah, I'll figure it out how to pronounce it when I get to med school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, if you make it to med school in time. Um, but Wow. <laughs> I believe in you. I believe. I'm just saying, oh, Corona. You. You know, right. oh, okay. Know. oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. That wasn't a jab at me. Jeez, okay. Yeah, all right. Okay. Jab at the gap here. Calm down. All right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so they said that um, they were primarily, they didn't say they were primarily using it for that, but they said, mm-hmm. oh, we'll have access to this, all this extra information. We'll have a more broad understanding of coronavirus better than we have in recent past. Yeah. For questions such as, you know, where to, send where to send this this mm -hmm. antiviral drug right Mm -hmm. so my one of my issues came up with the whole number thing it's like you know you adding 1500 hospitals and i know we stated like you know where are you pulling the sample from what hospitals you picking but i i guess it goes deeper than that like i'm concerned there's going to be efforts to water down the numbers right because i mean if you have a lot of push you know, Mike Pence has gone out and said that, you know, the CDC should not be having an effect on schools reopening. Hmm. You know, Trump has, has openly said that he's not a fan of, like, you know, CDC and kind of having all this extra, like, you know, pushback and not opening. The U.S. stepping away from exactly. the World Health Organization. Exactly. Yeah. There's been it's an obvious it's obvious that, you know, the executive yeah. branch as a whole is trying to make efforts to distance themselves from official organizations that we have in place to avoid, you know or at least to control issues like this a lot better. Hmm. But you going out and saying these things, you going out and saying stuff like, you know, we're going to have more and extra information for, you know, ourselves and not the people. Mm-hmm. It tells me that, you know, you weren't really quite prepared for this. And it looks like there's a deeper motive than just trying to take care of people. Cause if you truly, right. if you truly wanted to take care of the public, you wouldn't have resorted control away from the CDC and into the HHS you would have gone into the CDC and said that, okay, we need to change your measures. We trust what you have going right now, but we're going to try to expand it. Right. I think, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's, you know, you raise a good point. And I think that's where I started to have a problem with it too, Mm. because looking at everything that was done, there's not anything that's like explicitly wrong that you could point out. Mm -hmm. So everything that right now we could be saying is wrong could all just be speculation, you know, but I think, the one thing that I, I, I do notice is that if the CDC wasn't doing a bad job necessarily, mm-hmm. if the CDC wasn't doing a bad job necessarily, what's the, what's the point of moving, you know, where the data is going to the HHS, which the CDC is a part of, and then yeah. saying, oh, no, the CDC is still a part of it. They're just not going to have control. It's like, yeah. you're, what, what does that mean? If the CDC doesn't have control and the CDC is under the HHS, then who has control? The HHS? But, like, what's the difference? So I think that's mm-hmm. where I start to notice that there's a, there's a disconnect there in terms of what we're being told and what may yeah. actually be going down. Because I would have understood a situation where they were saying the CDC has been doing a terrible job, so we're shifting it to a completely new independent thing that's like separate, not related to the CDC. Then I'd be like, okay, let's talk about what the CDC was doing wrong and why they need to distance yourself. But you yeah. can't distance yourself from the CDC, but still stay close. You know that I think that's where yeah. I have my that that's where I have an issue with it. All and they like, really did was just switch who was in charge. Really. Exactly, That's like you could. Really to me, you've almost just changed the name, so one person could be the head and not the other person. Yeah. In simple terms, like that's what it looks like to me. Like it's yeah. like saying, "Oh, we've taken power from the World Health Organization and given it to the UN." Like it makes that I don't get that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, funny because 
I actually, I saw that the U.S. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services actually is based out in Boston, mm-hmm. which kind of, I guess, gave me a little uneasy feel. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You know, city pride went down like maybe like a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but I was thinking about it, and I kind of, in my mind, I thought about it in like a different, I thought about it in, in the analogy of, it's kind of as though they looked at the CDC and said, okay, your methods of, you know, collecting this data is, it's not good, right? Yeah. So what they did was in a way, and I get it, you know, the health organization is a, like, it's a, the health and human services is above the CDC, mm-hmm. but in my mind, it's kind of like looking at, you know, looking at the, like, it's like looking at, it's like a professor looking at a test saying like, okay, I did it wrong, right? Or I guess yeah. I made a poor test, Right. And then the teaching assistant coming up and saying, like, oh, you made a poor test. Let me rewrite it. And it's like, do you think any teacher would ever let that happen? <laughs> like, right. It's right. like, and I get it. You know, it's in this analogy, it's like things are slightly different because the CDC is beneath the. Yeah, you know, but like, it, I feel, I feel like it, it still stands because it's like a specialist type of thing. Like, exactly. You like know, the like CDC I, is, it, this is their specialty. This is, yeah, this is their expert. So in this for you to come field, into their precisely. field mm-hmm. and flip things around and basically say, mm-hmm. like, no, I'm in charge now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously, it feels as though there's a, a separate reason beyond just, oh, we weren't doing something good enough. Because so far, the only thing that I've seen is they said they just felt like the data didn't include enough people like they're just but being I've overwhelmed nev- like it almost seems exactly. like the cdc was doing a great job but they were just being overwhelmed like and, and i think we, you know i mentioned that to you briefly mm-hmm. and i just don't i just don't understand what the connection is there and and you know the timing of it too exactly. doesn't help especially when we've already seen exactly. all these things in media where you've heard different people talk about how they feel that cdc is standing in the way of people reopening as if mm-hmm. the cdc are the coronavirus but anyway we'll not talk about that <laughs> But you're already seeing all those things. You look at the other maneuvers that happen, like the U.S. stepping away from the World Organization, so they don't need to report their COVID-19 data outside the U.S. Mm. So you, the only source you have now is the HHS, it, it, it seems. And if the HHS isn't releasing that data to the public, there's no telling you know, what kind of stuff is going to come out of that. Like, Are they going to be truthful and still report to us yeah. you know, changes that make sense, or are they going to try and push for early reopening of things and yeah. be telling people that the numbers don't look that bad yeah. and because we're not seeing them for ourselves. We won't know for sure. It just feels like there's been a progressive monopolization yeah. of coronavirus data. Data. Mm. There's it's That's exactly mm-hmm. what it's become. Yeah. Within the past, in the course of three to four months, we've managed yeah. to step away from, we've, we've isolated not only our, our government, or I guess you could say America as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. First off, we stepped away from the World Health Organization, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then we move on in here, and then, like, now all of a sudden, we're like the government is separating itself not from the rest of the world, but from its own people. Yeah. And to me, that doesn't really feel like the United States of America. That just feels like the government and the people. Right. It, it's, to me, it, it should be a foreign concept mm-hmm. to most people. But again, it's kind of turning into this thing. Like, I don't know why it's, it's turned into this political conversation. And yeah. I get it. I mean, like, you know, we're talking politics right now in a way, too. Yeah. But I think for the most part, I just feel like, you know, minimal intervention and stuff like this keeps it things running to, a yeah, little bit. It tends to be best. Yeah, exactly. It tends to keep things a little bit smoother. It's it's like you said, it's like, you know, the CDC, they're specialists. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go into a specialist office and tell them that, like, hey, you know, I'm a very broad, I'm I'm a broad, you know, medical 
individual, mm-hmm. but I, I want to come in here and change the way you do things. No, you, right. you technically speaking, in a way, know more know about it more than I do. Right. And I guess you could argue that they you know the HHS has been, you know, so they they've they've looked over the health of United States so much that you know mm-hmm. they they could they could well know more than. You know the CDC, but at the same time, it's like you know why switch? You know why have, leadership? Yeah, at a why time have like this? Yeah, why have a, a this department in place if you undermine its ability to do the very exactly. thing that it was established to do? You know exactly. Like, and I think that's been a question that's been a common theme throughout this whole pandemic, or at least, yeah, no, I will say yeah, throughout this yeah. whole pandemic, this whole concept of not listening to the experts in a particular field. Yeah, you know, like I think we raised this a couple of episodes ago, maybe our first one, even when we we're saying, mm. or maybe not our first one, because we had to start talking about Corona. But I think at some point we mentioned it makes no sense mm. for people that aren't necessarily educated on what this thing is, aren't into the science department, for lack of a better term, yeah, be in charge of stuff like what we need to do, giving people advice on how to handle the pandemic. You know, like it started with yeah. the very small things. You have a lot of people coming out and saying masks don't help. And it's like, you're, you are into economics. That's the job you have. That's why you were hired. How do you know anything about viral infections and how they spread? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think this, it's already been a common theme and it's just happening a lot quicker and a lot are at, at a very high level. Mm-hmm. Or at least in levels that we didn't even know it could happen, right? Like, who mm-hmm. knew that the CDC could be undermined in the space of a week? Not you know? gonna lie, I didn't see it coming. Nobody saw that coming, you know. So, I think it's just a time when we all have to be careful, I guess, of the kind of stuff that we hear, maybe, yeah. and think twice about it and try and be less emotional about the way we act out. And I know that's tough because we're slowly getting to a point where people are split based off of the political opinions. And like we don't want people to do that, but also you want yeah. people to make informed decisions as opposed to speaking out of emotion. So, yeah, I know I don't know. Like I, I think that's just my word of advice to everybody who's like listening. We're definitely entering a time now where information might not be readily available to us, mm-hmm. and we just have to have a double take when it comes to a lot of things that we see, and be careful what we hear, and think for ourselves. Try to see try to you know open our eyes and see even outside look at examples outside the u.s and see how they're handling some of the things and perhaps that'll open up your mind to how we should be handling certain things back here but i mean at the same time like i would also put like you know a cautionary i guess message and also say that you know when it comes to stuff like this yes have your own like opinions Mm -hmm. you know think for yourself but don't get caught up in just thinking oh yeah no of course not because yeah. it gets to a point where if you avoid conversation mm-hmm. simply because something just doesn't agree with you, yeah, where where are you gonna go? You know, it's it just doesn't really quite make much sense. So yeah. you know, gotta be open minded and level headed. Exactly. Just just try. Like literally, just try. <laughs> like it's it's you don't like obviously not. Like, Forty five you know, minutes later, guys, just try. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this whole episode was just please make the effort, <laughs> but. I mean, it's obviously you're not going to reach everyone. And obviously, you know, yeah. even myself, when I try to, like, you know, open my eyes and try to hear another perspective um, regarding either coronavirus or, you know, Black Lives Matter or anything for that matter, really, mm-hmm. I might struggle here and there. But it's it's just the effort of at least or at least being willing to hear someone else mm-hmm. without interruption. Mm-hmm. It, it can really make the conversation a lot more beneficial, yeah. you know. 
make everyone's lives a lot easier and definitely maybe an, even inform you on something you may not have heard before. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, I guess that wraps up, you yeah. know, this episode, you know, kind of a quick one, I feel like, but yeah, you know, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode, you know, send in messages, send in ideas, you know, for next week's episode. We're open to really anything. Um, we might be shifting back to Black Lives Matter. We might be shifting mm-hmm. through Corona. I guess either whatever happens uh, within the next week. But also, we do have some things that we're kind of eager and antsy to talk so, talk about. So yeah. we'll see. But catch you guys next week. Peace. Cheers. Cheers.